Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host, and I'm so glad you joined us today. I want to start with a couple questions. Does any of this sound familiar? I feel so fat. I already messed up today. I'll eat whatever I want and start my diet tomorrow. Why can't I control this? Maybe you've said it. Maybe your clients say it. If you or someone you care about struggles with dieting, emotional eating, body image, or just making peace with food, today's podcast guest is here to help. She understands the issues that come up in our relationship with food, and she's going to share her expertise in a down-to-earth, been-there-I-get-you kind of way. I can't wait for you to meet her as we explore Your Weight is Not Your Worth with Dr. Kim Daniels. Dr. Kim Daniels is an emotional eating coach with a degree in clinical psychology who's been working with women who struggle with eating disorders and disordered eating for over 20 years. She's also a certified intuitive eating counselor and is the host of the Emotional Eating and Everything Else podcast. Dr. Daniels combines internal family systems, also known as IFS, and intuitive eating approaches to help her clients exit diet culture, make peace with food, and respect their bodies. I am personally so excited for this episode, and welcome, Dr. Kim Daniels. Thank you so much, Cindy. That was a lovely introduction. I was like sitting there kind of like, it's kind of hard to listen to people talk about you. <laughs> yes, but Kim, you have this wealth of expertise on a subject most of us, I think, almost everyone struggles with. To some degree, yes is so much a part of cultures and, you know, just everything. Everything. Well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very excited to be here and I'm really looking forward to talking about this. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So great. <laughs> and there's a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. I love when we have favorite things that get us excited and that just, you know, makes us so passionate about the subjects. And in this case, you know, hearing about how you might be able to help us with some basic emotional eating types of things, you yeah, know, everything. Absolutely. And your podcast is great. And we will talk about that too. But let's start with just the basics, like a little history. You're a psychologist. Describe, you know, like your personal professional journey to this work. It's just something I always wanted to do, which probably... <laughs> says a lot about my history. I remember even as a kid, just being like, I think I want to be a therapist. And I, I had, I worked with, I did office work in a private practice after I graduated college with a bachelor's degree in psychology, which doesn't really get you much of anything. <laughs> and one of the therapists was 
helping me with my grad school applications. And so of course there was the question about why do you want to become a psychologist? And he's like, Oh, don't say to help people. That's what everybody says. (laughs) And I said, well, I just always thought that people need someone to talk to. And he's like, Oh, you must not have had someone to talk to when you were younger. And I was like, Oh, we can't hide it. (laughs) We can't hide it. (laughs) We We cannot. Yeah, I think I was a very emotional kid in a family that Mm. had no idea what to do with feelings. You know, I was the super sensitive one. I was the, why are you making such a big deal out of it? You know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And was just always like, to me, it's always so funny to me when people kind of go, huh, you do that for a living. That's, that's never interested me. I'm like, what could be more interesting than why people do what they do? Like, there's nothing more interesting than that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Learning about people, studying about people. And, yes. and you know, the other thing is we're so human and that's what I love on this podcast. Like we all come from upbringings like that where, Absolutely. okay, no emotions in this house, enmeshed emotions in the other house. You right. know, it's like, <laughs> exactly. we're real people. We are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the chair. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. Like you bring such a, obviously you bring such heart to this and I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. You can tell in your podcast that that you bring that to your work and just to your connections with people. And it's really, it's really lovely. We need so much more of that. Thank you. Yes, I agree. Part of my mission. Yes. So you've been a psychologist for over 20 years and somehow kind of found your niche in eating disorders or disordered eating. Never know what's the most proper way to say it. I don't either to tell you the truth. Part of IFS is that we don't really believe in diagnoses. And so even when I think of eating disorders, it's like they are just a very, in many cases, normal response to the crazy world that we live in Mm -hmm. and the pressures that we all face about food and bodies and all of those things. So to sort of call that disordered, I just, there are parts of me that really kind of don't even like that language, even though, of course, that's what we use. But, you know, I'm not somebody who I know a lot of people who work with eating disorders or people who have a history of eating disorders. I'm not one of those people. It's just mm-hmm. not my story personally, but I, I certainly was always somebody who like, I love food. I, I was always somebody who always wanted more than probably what I quote unquote should have had. And, <laughs> you know, um, I just, I just love food. And if of, of anything, that was any kind of quote unquote crutch for me, it would have been food. Mm -hmm. And of course, like everyone, I mean, I absolutely have grown up within privilege. There's no doubt about that. I don't pretend to know what it's like to be, you know, in a large body or a person of color, or, you know, I'm a very able-bodied person, like a very privileged, tons of privilege, all of those things. And still absolutely hated my body, you know, like most Mm. of us do. And so- Certainly felt the pressure, even though, again, I was what anybody would say is, I don't even like to use these words, but thin still, you know, wasn't good enough. Didn't like it, you know, thought I needed to change, but you know, I'm also not somebody who has a huge dieting history because I couldn't do it. Like I would try. Mm -hmm. And now I know about this whole idea of parts, but like, I, like my parts were like, absolutely not. You're not depriving yourself of food. That's not going to happen. Right. So they, so they didn't let you do that, even though, not, no, right. We're supposed to try we're no matter try. what our bodies look like or right. our internal concepts, we're supposed to try dieting or we're supposed to fit into a smaller size or, you know, 
look more ripped or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I think I had parts that felt like a huge failure because that's what I was supposed to be doing. I'm a woman and therefore I diet. And I couldn't like, I, I remember trying like, do you remember like the cabbage soup diet? Did you ever hear oh, of that gosh. one? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I did that for 10 hours. Like I didn't even make it a what? whole day. Right? <laughs> I was like, nope, forget that. I want a peanut butter sandwich. Let's so, just like, go back a second. You said I'm a woman, therefore I diet. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that just really struck me don't we all kind of come with that belief, right? From social culture, at least here in, in Western society, privileged society, I suppose. Yeah. That's a, that's Mm -hmm. a very good way of putting it. And I think it's, it is what an IFS we would call like a cultural burden is this belief system that as women, we are supposed to be really focused on our, on our appearance and our body size. And, Mm -hmm. and I remember when I, when I went to grad school, I, I, I was always interested in eating disorders because again, didn't have one, but loved food, but I just always thought it was a fascinating, like eating disorders were always just a fascinating combination of, we know that there are biological factors, but there's a huge social cultural piece to it. And so I think I was also like a feminist from day one and just mm-hmm. always felt like this is directed at women and this is wrong. And I want to understand that more. And I remember going to my very first semester of grad school, going to a workshop that another psychologist in my area, who's very well known for her work with eating disorders was doing. And she said, men go to the gym to get bigger and women go to the gym to get smaller. And that always just stuck right. with me, Bingo. you know, so and, true. yeah. And here we are just always trying to make ourselves smaller. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I think about and talk to clients about is the time, money, and energy we put into making ourselves smaller and worrying about our appearance and what we're eating and how we're eating correctly. And da, 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 that could be put towards so many other way more important things. Right. right. Like I understand why it's important to so many of us because we're told that it's supposed to be, but if we'd never gotten that message, what else will we be doing with all of our time exactly. energy, and money? Imagine yeah. if this burden were lifted, right? Yes. Think, you know, as you're listening to this, imagine if you didn't have that burden of always having to overthink what you eat, what you look like, what you put into your body, what you're going to eat tomorrow. That would free up so much energy yes. and space. Yes. And money. I mean, you know, it's like it really, when you think about all of the things that so many of us have spent money on over the years, all the products, all the diets, all the exercise equipment, you know, even that stuff. And let's face it, as women, we still are the ones with with less money. And yet that's what we're spending it on. Like it's, it takes up so many facets of our life. Oh my gosh. There's so many things we could talk about. My (laughs) mind is just spinning. (laughs) This is great. I I want us to talk about um, IFS because you already started talking about parts work. And just as a little aside, Kim found me because I had some post about how everybody is trying to get certified in IFS and you can't even get into a training. And then she reached out to me on Facebook and was like, yeah, I get it. And I'm certified. And on and on. We we went on from there. Right, so right, right. tell us about what is IFS. It's super popular. Maybe why is it so popular? 
So I'm not certified. I will say that oh. I'm a level two practitioner. I'm not okay. certified. I'm finally going through the steps of becoming certified. So, level two. Okay. Level two. Yes. I'm a level two IFS therapist. So IFS is a model that was created by Dick Schwartz, who's mm-hmm. a, um, I know he has a PhD. I don't know if he's an actual psychologist quite frankly. Um, but he has a PhD, he's a therapist and he was trained in family systems. Mm-hmm. And so he started noticing that his clients kept, kept using the word parts, which we do that all the time, right? Like when you just have a conversation with someone, you say, well, part of me really likes that and part of me doesn't. And yes. so he was actually working with young women with eating disorders Oh, and noticing that they would say, well, parts of me really want to stop this, but parts of me feel like they can't like parts of me, mm-hmm. you know, a part of me wants to stop purging, but a part of me feels like they can't let that go. And so he really sort of took this whole family systems model and took it inside, you know, hence the, hence the, mm-hmm. the name. And so this whole idea that we, we are all multiple, we all have multiple parts to our personality. That's how we're born. Um, and our parts have different roles in our system. So we have like protector parts and we have exile parts. Right. And these and are really explicit parts. Very explicit parts. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have um, our exile parts are parts that like our system exiles, like pushes away because they're the ones that are carrying the really heavy duty, like feelings and beliefs about mm-hmm. ourselves, right? So they've, they've taken in these beliefs about like, and certainly in, in my work, it's a lot of, I'm not good enough. My body's not good enough. I'm not valuable. I'm not worthwhile. I mean, honestly, we all have those parts. Right. And to me, like everything that we consider to be a psychiatric diagnosis or symptom is really our parts figuring out how to manage like kind of exiling that. Like if I'm even depression, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't feel good enough, it's really hard to put myself out into the world. So I can have a depressed part that kind of keeps me at home safe. Right. Yes. And it's, it's so normalizing and validating. It's absolutely validate. Like it really is so, you know, people, um, you know, people sort of say, well, where, you know, where should somebody start with IFS? And it's like, it's, You don't necessarily even have to do anything to start with IFS. Mm -hmm. You just have to sort of recognize that all of the things that you've been told are wrong Mm -hmm. are just parts of you that are actually trying to help you. You know, I mean, comfort eating, that's, that's kind of a no brainer. We all know that that's, that's a part of you that is using food to make you feel better. That makes you feel better to soothe you. Right. We have these parts that try to protect us, even if on the outside, it's not the best way. Right, right. They they end up kind of wreaking havoc sometimes mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but, you know, even our dieting parts are trying to be helpful because we've all learned the message that a smaller body is a more valuable, more accepted and a safer body in mm-hmm. our culture. So it makes sense that that's what we're trying to do. Right. So right. if if we have parts that if we have sort of an exiled part that's getting really triggered and is really feeling like I'm not good enough. Like maybe I'm getting rejected by my partner or, you know, something is happening and that exile parts get triggered. Another part goes, great. I know what to do about that. Let's go on keto tomorrow. We'll fix that. Right. So it really is. Wait, you mean that won't save us the keto diet? (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't met anybody that it has. (laughs) 
But this is, this is also just how ingrained it is, right? We see something and we want so much to believe it to then soothe and satisfy this part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's a learned behavior. So we just help our parts to see that again, you know, what I like to say is that none of this is, is authentic to any of us. None of us started off at age two thinking that our body was wrong. You know, when we were kids, we either just didn't really think about it at all, or we thought it was cool, but we got the message that it was wrong in, in a multitude of ways in our culture. Right. Um, We get those messages very young as, as children. And sometimes they come from family members, right? Not, they don't mean harm. It's not like ill-intentioned, but it just happens because it was passed down from generations. We have to always remember too, I think talking about food and body image so much is contained generationally and culturally and you know, to have some weight on you in, in a culture that experienced famine or hunger would be a really positive thing. And so then you have, you know, you have this like conflict. Absolutely. There's so, we get so many mixed messages. I mean, even from the same people, you know, like so many of my clients talk about the fact that they have a parent who's saying, you know what, you really should lose weight, but here have some cake. Right. And it's like, I have no idea what to do with that. It's so, and your parts are just like, I don't even know. (laughs) Right. So we develop different parts who kind of do different things, but you're so right about in in IFS, we talk about legacy burdens. And so we Mm. have like this whole sort of process that when we kind of discover a legacy burden, we really do this whole thing about passing it back where it came from to all the people that gave it to us that didn't want to give it to us either. Exactly. Oh, I love that. They were just a victim. Yeah. They were a victim of the culture Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you said, it's not ill, it's not ill intended. And in so many ways, again, they think they're protecting us. Like, again, we have, you know, it's not always moms. It's very often dads too, but a lot of times it is moms who are dieting and kind of passing down that behavior and that model. And they're trying to keep us safe too. You know, Mm -hmm. even when they're sort of saying, you know, maybe you should lose weight. Maybe you should should focus on that. They, they've, they've gotten the message that a smaller body is a safer body. Right. And they want us to be safe. Right. So, um, so which the hard part is then when we are trying to undo all of those things in the family and the people around us is not trying to undo all of those things. That's when it gets really difficult for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, those and and those messages can come in so many different ways, you know, yes. like mm-hmm. I could share personally, mm-hmm. I don't think my mom is going to listen to this podcast, but growing up, she never wore shorts, right? Because mm. she didn't think, you know, her legs should be seen like the, you know, we, we grew up in Florida. And so that was like, oh, she wouldn't wear the shorts out. Right. Oh. And, you know, now, now it's very different, but still like, that's an example of a message. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I like, thankfully I didn't grow up in a super dieting family. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, I didn't get a ton of direct messages about my body, but like my dad would tease me and call me thunder thighs, you Mm. know? And like, we, like, yeah, absolutely. And I remember a coach telling me once, well, you know, you can't fit into that uniform, that size uniform, because you're just big boned. Like we all know what that meant. Right. You know, so those things like, again, thankfully, thankfully I was somebody who was not given super direct messages about that. And, and yeah. um, I, I, again, I completely recognize that I'm one of the lucky ones, but, but those little things mm-hmm. do a lot of damage. 
Exactly. They do a lot of damage. Well, let's let's shelve the coach talk for maybe another podcast episode because that could get very, very uh, intense. Right. But so, Kim, the beautiful thing that you've done with IFS, I mean, so much in terms of working with your clients, um, but you created this amazing tool called the Eating Parts Cheat Sheet. Mm-hmm. And it's a free tool. <laughs> We're going to link to it in the show notes, but I want you to talk to us a little bit about it and you know how it all comes down to being more aware having awareness which is what will ultimately change our relationship with food uh, so with IFS we yes we believe we have parts but we all believe that we have a core self okay so we have like this core self that again we're born with IFS really is all about sort of how do I want to say this? It's not the, the great thing about being an IFS therapist is it's not my job to fix anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't have, I don't have to give you tools because we believe that we all have the tools inside of us. It's just getting our parts to step back so that we can actually experience that. So we call that self-energy. So a big piece of IFS is getting space between yourself and your parts. Mm-hmm. So the cheat sheets were designed to be, again, sort of a just a quick and easy intro to IFS to, to, again, help you see that the parts of you that are turning you towards food, away from food, you know, whatever the case may be, both, because we tend to have both. Right. Again, seeing those as separate parts that are kind of like taking over in the moment. We call it like being hijacked. Our parts take over and they kind of hijack us. And the next thing we know, we ate a pint of ice cream and we don't even remember how, right? So it's almost like we have parts that kind of just start driving the bus and we're not aware of it. Um, But when we can get space between that part and sort of see it and get to know it and have a conversation with it, then we can talk to it in the moment and sort of say, like what's going on for you right now? Like I notice you're, you know, there's a part of me that wants Oreos. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of sit down and figure out what that is. And my again, part, my part is potato chips. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those too. Yes. Yeah. So what do we do with this part? Right? Like I'm feeling sort of anxious. I'm feeling mm-hmm. sort of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling disorganized mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I go in the cabinet and I look for the potato chips. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. So we, we always start off with like, where do you notice the part in your body? Cause mm-hmm. it kind of anchors you and it makes you more aware. And the cheat sheets kind of walk you through like, what, what does that part look like? What does that part, like, what is that part saying to you? Um, how is that, how does that part feel? Like, how is it kind of showing up for you? And then again, we're trying to get space between you and it's literally almost like I'm here and I'm looking like two or three feet away from me at this part of me that wants the potato chips. And so when we do that, we, they're not taking over anymore, right? They're, they're kind of separate from us. Mm -hmm. And so we can sort of say, Okay, so I have this part that maybe it's in my chest right now, or maybe it's in my stomach. Lots of times they're in my stomach, especially anxiety. Let me just focus my attention on that. Mm -hmm. Um, What does it look like? What does it sound like? And what, like, what does it want me to know right now? Hmm. And people always think that's a little bit crazy because you'll start hearing answers to questions when you start asking them. Like we ask, you know, how old is this part? How does it, and lots of our eating parts are young because that's one of the few things that we have when we're kids, right? Mm. Is food. We can't go for a drive. We can't buy something. We can't get our nails done. We can't really have a conversation Mm -hmm. with people when we're little. So we eat makes a lot of, yeah, a lot of our, if, if you're somebody who really uses food for like 
again, comfort, stress, relief, whatever, you probably don't feel like the grown up that you are in those moments. Mm -hmm. And so we can sort of say, you know, how old are you? How old do you think I am? And that's a huge question because very often our parts go, well, like you're six. And it's like, you know, oh, we're asking the part. Part, How old do you think I am? Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. This is really fascinating. It's (laughs) fascinating. And and again, a lot of our parts think they're, we're maybe we're, maybe we're a little bit older than them or we're the same age. And so when we sort of say, you know, I'm actually 51 years old and, you know, I have a job and a house and a this and a that, our parts are like, what? I don't like, I don't have to protect a 51 year old woman. What have I been doing all this time? Right. And so they kind of go off and be like a little six-year-old or however old they are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, again, IVS can get much deeper than that, but that's what, that's just, again, a very quick, easy thing. Amazing. Yeah. To sort of say, how old do you think I am? And, Mm -hmm. and up, we call that updating, update the part of really who you are and Mm -hmm. where you are in your life right now. And that Mm -hmm. in and of itself can, and, you know, things like, um, for people who got a lot of messages about food and bodies from parents, and maybe those parents aren't even here anymore, but Mm. they still have parts that are stuck in the past and think that they are right. And so when we can update the part and say, those people aren't even here anymore, you don't have to worry about that. Like it's just like super freeing, right? It frees the part. They don't have to do this work anymore. Oh, she's a grown up. She's 51. She doesn't need me. Oh, they're not there anymore. I don't need to do this this protective work. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they could just go off and be a kid. Mm -hmm. Right. And so really, and truthfully, it's like, you know, a lot of people sort of say like, again, what do I do in the moment with that potato chip eater? Right. Right. And so to some degree, Cindy, it's like for you to get to know that part when it's not active, when it's not being activated by something, right. And you can kind of get to know that. And so then when it is sort of activated, you go, Oh, I know that part. You know, I know every time I get a headache, I know that's what that part is or every time, you know, whatever oh, our okay. parts show up in our bodies. Right. And so we can sort of go, I know that potato chip eater, you know what? And since I've already got to know it, I know mm-hmm. actually what would be super helpful for that part right now. And mm-hmm. I don't even have, and maybe it's potato chips, right. maybe it's still potato chips and that's okay, but maybe it's not right. You know, maybe there's stress right. that needs to be addressed in a different way, you know, whatever. Right. So when we do that, the more parts we get to know, the less we have to do that in the moment, like, oh my God, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I'm about to be hijacked by this part because they don't like, they're just not that extreme anymore because they know that we're here. We've gotten to know them. They've gotten to know us. They know that there's a grown up here mm-hmm. who can handle things. Yes. That's right? great. Yeah. 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 It's, it's such an, integrating type of process. And, you know, it, it, it also reminds me in some ways too, I don't know if, you know, I'm a couples therapist and I'm sometimes follow some of Terry Reel's work and he talks about the adaptive child part. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of this as well. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And Mm -hmm. again, the, the, the deeper you go into it, certainly with a therapist or, you know, a, a, 
highly trained coach there, we can help um, what we call unburden exiles. So we can get to those exiles who are carrying those really intense feelings and we can, there's a whole, again, sort of ritual that we use to help them let go of those. Hmm. And then again, when those parts don't get triggered, like say that part that doesn't feel good enough, when that part lets go of that and feels valuable, the part that it was protecting it doesn't have to do that anymore. So it doesn't turn to food anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, it really is just sort of giving space to our parts, but letting go of the burdens that they're carrying. And the more we do that, just the easier it is to approach, to approach food from just a very calm, what does my body need? And also what do my parts need? Cause again, sometimes food still gets to be fun and it still gets, you know, you still get to comfort eat. Like I, it drives me nuts when I see, you know, end how to end emotional eating. Although that like, that is my podcast this week is how to end emotional eating, but it's also <laughs> like in parentheses, spoiler alert, you don't have to, um, right. So, you don't yeah, have to, you don't have to. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it's been my experience that IFS can really help just, just really foster a much, just a much calmer, more peaceful relationship with food. Even it's so powerful, such mm-hmm. a powerful process. And even when you say that Kim to foster a calmer peaceful relationship with food. I mean, I think most of us hear that and we're like, oh, it doesn't quite stick. What is she talking about? <laughs> How right? do you do that? Right. How right. do you do that? So then you also <laughs> combine your intuitive eating approach with right. IFS and right. maybe um, explain a little bit about how does intuitive eating help us like heal these food and body issues? Sure. So I, you know, it's funny. I went through level one training. I started IFS back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And so I've been, you know, trained for a while. And then I immediately went into level two. I've been doing that for a while and was kind of using it with therapy clients a lot. And, and then I kind of found intuitive eating and became certified in that process. Um, and I was kind of like when I was, because, you know, and I also kind of developed a, a coaching practice too. So mm-hmm. there's just been a lot kind of going on, but I was like, oh, I'm, I was really focused on the intuitive eating piece. Cause I thought nobody's going to understand IFS and it's going to sound a little kooky. And like, how do you, how do you do all of that? Like that big work and kind of little sound bites and like mm-hmm. a coaching world. Right. Um, so I was like, well, you know, I'll really just start with intuitive eating and then add a little IFS in. And it's like completely flopped. <laughs> it's like flip-flopped over the past year. That you it's use like more now, IFS. It's all about IFS with a little bit of intuitive eating thrown in. Okay. And nothing so, you're saying sounds kooky. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have parts that are like, people are going to think I'm insane. Um, but I think that's probably because people have heard about it much more than they did, you know, 10 years yes, ago, but anyway, exactly. um, so intuitive eating to me, it's like IFS is just sort of this broad, it's like the, the foundation mm-hmm. and intuitive eating is kind of a skill set to, to lay on top of that. So okay. intuitive eating was developed by two dietitians back in the mid nineties. It's been around for a while, but it's only now getting really popular, um, and it was basically um, these two dietitians, Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli, they were trained as dietitians are, you know, mm-hmm. to focus on weight loss and, you know, calorie counts and portion sizes and all that kind of stuff. And um, they just started noticing that their clients would do really well 
um, while they were working together. And then, you know, they would leave in like six months or a year would go by and their patients would call back very ashamed at the fact that they oh. had regained their weight or their A1C was up again, or their so cholesterol was shame. high. So much shame, so yeah. much shame. And so they just really started realizing that this does not work. It just doesn't work. And so they really took a deep dive into the research. Intuitive eating is a very heavily researched model. Um, and they really just got away from all of dieting. Hmm. Um, and so they created this model that has like 10 different principles. And the whole idea is that it's all about tuning into your body and getting to know what your body needs, whether you're hungry, whether you're full, what foods satisfy you, because we need to eat foods that are satisfying to us. Right. Um, it talks a lot about, um, Hmm. Again, exiting diet culture and why that's so incredibly important. Like you can't, you can't work on weight loss and become an intuitive eater at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, you're, I mean, I guess uh, I don't know how to say that. Well, this. the idea would be the intuitive eating would ultimately lead to a healthier body weight. It could, or it may it not. Okay. It may not. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's, so I think for a lot of people to ask people to just stop focusing on weight loss is for a lot of people impossible. And I don't want to, I don't want to suggest right. that you shouldn't even try intuitive eating if you're still focusing on weight loss, but you do, you do have to sort of recognize number one, that pretty much every attempt at weight loss that we have fails, right? So like mm -hmm. 95 to 98% of any kind of intentional weight loss doesn't work after five years. And like those statistics go back like 60 years. So wow. it's never worked. It's never worked for people. So we have to really take a look at our relationship between food and our bodies. And really, truthfully, I don't, I used to help people work on weight loss. I worked in a bariatric surgery program for years. It was all oh about weight loss. Yeah. Right. And so like, I, 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 that was, I spent a lot of years doing that. And I can tell you from personal experience, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. You're the expert. I mean. Um, Kim has this podcast series. You can go to her website mm. and it's called, I don't know, there are like five or six episodes. Yeah. You yeah. tried it. Here's why it didn't work from right. therapy, intuitive eating, dieting, overeaters anonymous, other groups like that, bariatric surgery and medication. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And all so of those things. Yeah. All of those things you're saying don't work. They don't work. They don't work. And you know, I mean, Okay. So caveat with therapy and intuitive eating. <laughs> oh, of course. Right. I know. I just was like, oh, wait. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. The, the um, right kind. But they don't. Exactly. They, they, yeah. I, again, if you, I always say like, if you were seeing me, you know, 10 years ago, it wouldn't have worked either because mm -hmm. I was helping you lose weight, try to lose weight and it doesn't work. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and if you try to just pick up the intuitive eating book, and read through it yourself and apply those principles. Most of us can't do that by ourselves. It's too hard. So, you know, even those things, they have a huge possibility of, of working sure. in terms of helping you with, with food and body stuff, but you have to have the right person, the right time, the right, you know, the right, whatever. Yeah. And you um, could lose weight and still have those voices inside that totally. are saying you're not good enough. Absolutely. You shouldn't eat that. So on. absolutely, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And there really is a lot of research about the, how we link health and weight, especially in our country. And there really is not the research to support that. And so, you know, it, it's like, right. our, you know, you go to the doctor and the first thing they tell you to do is lose weight. And it's like, that's, that's irrelevant. 
um, for most, for most people, it just doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, weight loss is one of those things that it's like, you know, when I really stopped working on weight loss with people, I went as so many of us do to the other complete extreme of like a a real, like anti-diet approach of like, I'm not helping anybody with weight loss and I don't even want to talk about it. uh, And it's like, well, that's not helpful. Right. Right. Because people still want that because they're still being pressured for that. So we have to sit and hold those, those parts that still think that weight loss is going to be the thing that Mm -hmm. fixes whatever. Um, and we have to just work with those parts and go, I get it. I get why you believe that, but has it in the past, Mm -hmm. right? Because lots of my clients anyway, have certainly had very successful attempts at weight loss until it's not successful. Until it's not right. You know? And then there are, there are things like the, the inclusivity and the right. body inclusivity and weight right. inclusivity and not focusing right. only on weight loss and size. And I think that's, that's pretty important and does it's, not get talked about too much. It doesn't. And there's like, I mean, this could be a whole episode on itself. So I'll just say this briefly. Cause I just think it's so important. It's like, there are so many systems that contribute to our health and our size mm-hmm. in this culture that we don't ever talk about or address. We just make it your problem and your fault that your body is the way it is. Even though, again, we know that poverty, education level, you know, access to health, access to good food, like all of that has a huge bearing on your health and your body size. But our culture doesn't, doesn't make any move to do anything mm-hmm. about those things. We just say, well, you don't have any willpower. It's your fault. Oh gosh. You know, right. that's yeah. what we do. And now mm-hmm. I, you know, we've done that. We're doing that to kids because the new recommendations from the American association for pediatrics are absolutely an abomination. Terrible, mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Could you um, just tell our listeners that recommendation? Yeah, they're basically saying that kids as young as I think 12 can now go on medication, which, um, you know, quote unquote weight loss medication, which that doesn't work either. And you have to take it for your entire life. So this is, you know, the cynic in me says this is all about big pharma making a ton of money. It could be, you know, pre pre puberty, all of Oh my gosh, they're not even absolutely. And they're, they're saying kids as young as 13 can have bariatric surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and right. you know, and, and again, for people who, you know, I'm lucky to have the education in this area and the access to information. If I was somebody who didn't, and I went to my kid's pediatrician and they said, you should put them on these meds. It's going to make them healthier. I would do it. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's really tragic. So we're setting our kids up for a lifetime of, of ill health and disordered eating and, all kinds of things. Sure. Right. And it's, it's multifaceted because of, you know, being so sedentary or not even having safe places to walk or to exercise or to play Right, right. adults sitting at work all day. So all kinds of things, all kinds of things. Okay. So now that we feel really depressed, (laughs) sorry, I took that to such a dark place. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Let's, Let's lift it up a bit, right? Yes, so yes. we can't we can't do the dieting. We we can't do those things. What's so what left? do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Right? How can how can we respect our bodies more and yeah. choose choose a different relationship with food? Start to yeah. cultivate that. 
I think, I mean, first to me, one of the first stepping stones for a lot of people is their social media feed because so many of us mm-hmm. are so sort of addicted to that. And when we're seeing nothing but diet ads and nothing but influencers talking about weight loss, of course, we're going to feel like we need to do that. So one of the benefits of social media is I feel like there are a lot of like anti-diet intuitive, intuitive eating health at every size folks out there putting out some really good content. So look for those folks and follow those hashtags and, Mm -hmm. you know, follow people whose body looks like your body. You know, I mean, I grew up back in a time when, of course, this is all about magazines and TV right. shows. You and you know? me, we're the same. So, um, oh, we saw were thin white women. That was it, mm-hmm. right? Thin white, straight, able-bodied women, you know, cisgendered, all that, you know, that's all we saw. Right. And so at least with social, and not that necessarily our media itself is better with that. I mean, it's a little bit better, but not a lot. Um, but again, there are people out there on social media, putting themselves out there, um, so that we're seeing bodies that are just in every shape, size, color, every, everything. And that's that's amazing. It's amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. So even just starting with that, um, and then again, I think just starting to understand why you use food the way you do. Again, whether it's with those cheat sheets or not, just really kind of checking in with yourself, like what's going on with me right now that I'm kind of turning towards food. And again, that that's not to say that the answer then is you can't turn, you're, you're supposed to figure right. out what else to do differently. Right. Maybe it doesn't will, mean like, won't. don't eat it exactly. or don't eat something. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But again, I think just this notion that these are parts that are protecting you because we're mm-hmm. so used to, again, them being kind of vilified and shamed. And again, even in the psychiatric community, like that's a diagnosis. And therefore, what do we need to do? We need to fix it, right? Right. We need to get rid of it. We need to stop it. But the more we try to push something away, it's like a boomerang. The more it comes back to you, right? It's like telling somebody who's anxious to calm down. That doesn't help. That's right. Or somebody who's angry to calm down. Never works. Never works, right? (laughs) So the more we try to push these parts away, they're going to get our attention. They're going to come back. So we might as well just kind of sit with them and open that door and say, Mm -hmm. tell me what's going on for you. And Mm -hmm. very often people are just shocked. It's like, even, even that really critical voice that we have in our minds, because we all have those two, that is still a voice that learned that kind of tough love is the thing that will get you to do whatever. Right. So if I criticize you enough, you'll do, you'll, you'll get on the Peloton more, you'll do this. And again, if you do that, your body will be smaller and you'll be safer. Right. Right. So it, it, even those parts. And then you'll be happier. And then you wonder how come I'm not happy. (laughs) Then there's that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Part of it is giving up this idea that this is the thing that's going to make me happy because it's just, it's not in the anxiety. You know, I would say like the anxiety that people have, even if you get to a size or whatever that you're like, this is a size that'll make me happy. Now there's this huge amount of anxiety about how do I stay here? What do I do? Mm -hmm. What do I do? do? Right. Right. So very often we look at times that we thought, well, I was smaller and I was so much happier then maybe parts of you were, but I guarantee you, you had parts that weren't. Right. And so it's having that awareness, looking at those parts, talking to them, getting some distance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And just, again, the more, you know, one of the things I love about IFS, and again, I feel like it fits so much with, with your message is that it really is all about compassion. 
Mm. and having compassion for ourselves and those parts of us that are doing the best they can with the only information they have. Yeah. The compassion is huge. huge. You know, someone helped me a little bit with, with food, not, not in like a, you know, a super like disordered way, but Mm -hmm. just the sense of, can you look at the food as like self-care, like nourishing, absolutely nurturing, nurturing even more than nourishing, you know, and I love to cook and I love to cook a nice dinner for my husband. And then when we experience that as this like nurturing, you know, it's extra yummy and there's no guilt. And, you know, it's like a different way to enjoy it. And that has really been helpful for me to think about my food as nurturing and that makes it like a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, no, I I love that. That's a great, that's a great message to take in. And it's absolutely true. You know, Mm -hmm. when you think about it as infants, we get nurturance through food and touch. Right. And so what we don't tell people don't hug anybody anymore or don't, you know, like don't want to have a physical connection with people. Of course we still want that. So why are we telling people that food is just fuel? Yeah, like we aren't we aren't robots. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Food is fuel. Right. Right. But and then mm-hmm. look what happened when we said don't touch anybody, don't hug anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. During the mm-hmm. pandemic, that horrible time and mm-hmm. and the isolation, the angst and the agony that it caused. Yeah. And the grocery store shelves were empty. Because we all went back to that primal place of, I need food, mm-hmm. I need comfort. And, you know, I was just oh, yeah. reading wow. something that the other day. Goosebumps. Yeah, I was just reading something the other day that like, even like cans of like Campbell's soup were flying off the shelves during mm-hmm. the pandemic. And they were talking about the fact that like, because that was so nostalgic, like all the sort of the, the nostalgic foods um, were kind of flying off the shelves then. Right. And it's like, we all just wanted, oh, we wanted that comfort and we wanted that kind of more simpler time kind of mm-hmm. feel. And like you said, food is nurturance. It's connection. It's connection to our families and our ancestors. Right. It's how we show love to other people and to ourselves. Yes. Right. And so it's like, we need to take the shame out of that because there's mm. absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I've yeah. had so many people say, I could have, I could have been doing this in a much more in, in, in a much more self-injurious way too. You know, you think about food is, it's fairly benign on the things (laughs) that that people can choose, but, but it's still like, again, it's just so it's, it's so incredibly nurturing. And Mm. when we give food to other people, we see that we're doing that out of love, but when we give it to ourselves, it's wrong. That's the part right there. Yeah. That was the shift. Yeah. Right. That it's yeah. okay to give it to yourself. Right. It absolutely mm-hmm. is. It absolutely mm-hmm. is. That's, that's, yeah. Like, it's yeah. wonderful that that person gave you that message. Yes. It was way. really great. Really mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing that's, that's helped me, I mean, since I'm being kind of vulnerable, is um, one of the, Okay. So we're both in new England and we can't always go outside to exercise or whatever, because it's, you know, brutally cold or we have snowstorms or whatever. So I started doing this 
following a fitness trainer on YouTube, like she does different, you know, high intensity things or like the old fashioned step aerobics, which oh, you probably I loved remember. Yes. Kim and I are dating ourselves. Yes. So we're your middle-aged therapists and we grew up on step aerobics. Anyhow, that. the great thing about her is that she really talks about how like, you know, you're going to have a bigger body when you add muscle and it's okay. And whatever you do, just keep moving. If you can't do the moves or put your weights down, you know, keep moving. It's so, so like inclusive. Love that. And that makes all the difference. The messaging is amazing. Right. And she's not a toothpick. She (laughs) is like, you know, like super strong. And she talks about that. She's like, you know, you guys want to know how much I weigh? I'll tell you. Wow. You'll have to Mm -hmm. give me her name. I would love to follow her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that's such a good point. We were kind of talking about earlier about like, what do you do in social media? Like gym culture, right? If you're somebody who loves to go to the gym, fantastic. Keep going. But you know, like I was, I, I, I did a few years, like eons ago, like 20 years ago, I kind of stumbled upon like a martial arts studio and just spent a few years there mm-hmm. um, learning karate and kickboxing. And I loved, I loved every second of that. I, so I was just looking maybe two weeks ago for another kickboxing class, because that was my absolute favorite form of exercise that I've ever tried. And first of all, they're very hard to find. But mm. secondly, the one I found was it's like the next town over. I was like, yay, it's close by, whatever. Everything on their website was about weight loss. What? Everything on their website was about weight loss. And I thought there's absolutely no way I'm stepping foot in there. Right. So it's like, we, we had, we can honor ourselves and sort of Mm -hmm. say, I'm not going to give you money. If you're going to sit here and tell me that I need to diet and lose weight, I'm not going to put myself in a position and I get that not everybody has that option. I get it. But again, really be aware of the messaging that you're getting. And it's yeah. especially in fitness places. Fitness um, is big. Yeah, it, that's huge. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And there's again, there's some wonderful anti-diet folks in the fitness world, too, but they are not the norm. And so, again, it's like if you're in this class, right. if you're in some fitness class and, you know, you like the class, but the instructor is constantly talking about, oh, we need to have those six pack abs and we that's not a good space. That's not an inclusive space. That's not an encouraging space. And if there's somebody who has that body type, they're able to have that body type, right? I I could, Mm -hmm. I could do that. I could do crunches every day for the rest of my life. I'm not (laughs) going to look like that. Right. But there's this messaging is if you just work hard enough, you'll look like her. Uh, No, you won't. Cause we don't all have that body. So being very careful and and very choosy about that. So I'm glad you brought that up. That was, that's a great point. Yes. Well, it's, it's been really impactful for me and, and we could talk forever. I want to just bring one more point before we draw to a close, because I think it's very important. And you believe also that we can't be our best selves if we're not, if we're stressed out about food or if we're dieting, and this goes for therapists too. You work with therapists to also help them with their own food and body issues. Yeah. Because I think what is, again, I, I was one of those therapists. I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so I was bringing my own, you know, sort of diet culture into the room and supporting people in that way and thinking I was being helpful. So, you know, there's certainly 
no judgment whatsoever for therapists that are still out there kind of doing that and, and really believing that they're being helpful. But again, for through years of, of experience, I can tell you that was not helpful. And so we have to do our own work with that. We have to know kind of where our, where our bias is because we all have bias. We right. all have bias. Right. And so and- we have to be super aware of that. And we have to really just look at our own relationship with food because that's going to impact how we're responding to our clients. And, you know, sometimes that even means not even asking, right? Like if right. it's a touchy exactly. subject for us, we're not even going to ask. Right. Then it know? becomes taboo. And, right. and again, this is also part of the self-care that yes. we need as therapists. You know, here we are talking about helping us look at our issues with food. And so many therapists are guilty of like sitting at their desk, maybe having some water, maybe running out right. in between sessions and grabbing something, but not, you know, you know, and then eating too much at the end of the day or whatever. So I think it's really important to look at how you, you might want to check out your relationship. Yeah. And I think as therapists, we need our own space for that because so mm-hmm. many of us feel like, you know, we're therapists, we should know this, you know, I'm not supposed to have, an, I'm not supposed right to have there. any issues That's at right. all, but we're baked in diet culture, just like everybody else is. And of course we're going to have issues with that. And so I, I really do think that we need our own space mm-hmm. to explore that, you know, expecting therapists to kind of show up in a group with non-therapists, you know, I, I don't know that I would want to do that. So so I do have like a, I, I just started a group about two months ago. That's just for therapists. Wow. Um, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. So it's just a four month coaching group and I'll certainly mm-hmm. do it again. Um, and that'll be like on my website and everything. And if you get on my email list, you'll definitely get it. I have like, like if you get the cheat sheets or any of that kind of stuff, you'll, you'll go right on my email list. And then at the bottom of each email, I say, like, if you're a therapist, click here and that'll put you on a separate list just for therapists. Okay. So I, yeah. So, and, and my plan is to do some workshops to, you know, how to work with your clients around these things using IFS and intuitive Mm -hmm. eating, but start another group for therapists who want to dig into their, their own kind of food and body stuff. So, Oh, that's, that's wonderful. I just posted in my Facebook group and anybody is welcome to join it. It's the heart centered uh, therapist community on Facebook. And I had posted a thing about, does anybody run groups for therapists? And oh, the answer was like basically zero, except one person was contemplating it. So we have to get your information in there oh, for, for the future. That. Yes. yes. Okay. okay. Kim, if you can tell everybody your website and then we'll link everything to the show notes Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah in yeah, the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So my website is your weight is not your worth.com. And I'm on Instagram at, at Kim Daniel Seide. I always forget. I'm not on there a lot. I have to admit, I'm not a huge social media person. I'm on TikTok with the same handle. I never post anything, but pretty much everything on my, on my website is, I mean, everything that I'm doing is on my website. So yes, um, she has a beautiful website. It's so beautiful. And you can also tell us about your podcast. That's yes. I always forget about that. It's called the emotional eating and everything else podcast. And I I do it pretty much every week. And yes, like you said, I just did a whole series on, you know, here's what, you know, this, you try this and here's why it didn't work. And so now we're this week was how to stop emotional eating, you know, again, spoiler alert, you don't have to, where I talk about, you know, why IFS and intuitive eating work so well um, as a combination. And so we're going to be doing, I tend to like 
I tend to like talking about just like big concepts, <laughs> you know, and ideas and, you know, theories and whatever. And then it's like, oh, I should probably actually give people something to do. So yes. I'm trying you to have consider... tips. I, you can go on her website. I've already looked. She has tips for healthy Good. eating during the holidays, coping skills for dealing with eating and stress. So she has very practical tips in some of her podcasts. <laughs> Make you. sure you check them out. <laughs> But I'm going to be doing more of that. So, um, so like next week, we're going to do a very specific like IFS exercise called parts mapping to just sort of get to know kind of what are the parts in your eating system. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I can kind of walk you through that. So I'm going to be doing more of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, so the podcast, definitely, if you listen to that, you know, and just again, grab one of the freebies. I have a, a course called like why diets don't work and how to quit them for good. Like that's on my website too. So there's a tab that says work with me. If you sign up for any of that kind of stuff, I do individual coaching too, but also right. like, I like groups because I feel like people always think they're alone with this yes. and that could not be more untrue. Right. So I think that's really important to bring people together as a community around this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kim. I, I really acknowledge you for making us not feel so alone. I mean, honestly, you did that today. You did that with me, with our listeners. You've given us hope that we could unburden ourselves absolutely from these parts and, mm -hmm. and have um, a calm and peaceful relationship with food. Right? Well, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. It could have gone yeah. on for five more hours. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so my, my very last question is what is your definition of a heart centered therapist? Well, I mean, I have to go back to IFS with that because that, you know, again, so much of IFS is, is compassion and that self energy. Mm -hmm. And, and when we can just sort of sit in that space and see that everybody else has parts and those are their parts trying to protect them. Mm. Right. But we all have self-energy. We all have that just, again, that innate compassion and curiosity. And when we can recognize that in other people, to me, that's being heart-centered. So, mm. and I really thank you for bringing all of this into the space because it's, oh, it's my so pleasure. needed. It's so needed. My pleasure. It's, and it's, and it's fun and just really great to make this connection. Wonderful. So thanks again. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.